0: Good morning. Good morning. All right, so you, when you walked in, you got a sermon note insert to follow along today. So I hope you'll grab that and use it. Uh, we're going to be continuing in this sermon series uh, this Sunday morning on God is. We're looking at the attributes of the God of the Bible. Um, you know, you can see just even as you look at the, the series graphic, just this idea of considering You know, being high above, what is it like to have God's perspective? What is it like to be God? Who is God? The attributes of God. That's what we're looking at in this series, this summer study that we're doing together. And one quote that I've been reading each week to introduce our time from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says this, what comes into our minds... When we think about God, it's the most important thing about us. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. You're becoming what you worship, right? So, God is, we looked in week one, God is triune. He's this God of the Bible, this Christian God, this God of Trinity. We looked at God is good. He is good. He's being good. He will be good. That God is good. We looked at God is holy. And so this morning, we're looking at the wisdom of God. We're looking at this idea, this truth, that God is all-wise. God is wise. Just like someone might be all-world or an all-star or all-American, God is infinitely and perfectly wise he's all wise we're gonna have a chance to consider that this morning to praise god for his wisdom and to respond to that because if it's true it should change the way we think about our own wisdom and how often and frequently we ask him for wisdom right god is all wise So what are we talking about when we're talking about the wisdom of God? I'm going to read a passage in a moment and we'll pray. But before I do, just to introduce things, this topic of wisdom, what are we talking about when we're talking about wisdom? Do you know? The word wisdom is defined in the Cambridge Dictionary as this. This will not be on the screen, but just listen. The ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. Wisdom. Wisdom. The origins of this word wisdom, and this is kind of nerdy and geeky, but like I think I love this, so I want to share it with you. Like the root word wiz, it, it, it means to see, to know, to be experienced, to be prudent. To have the power to discern and judge rightly. And and the, the second part of the word wisdom, dumb, right? Or you might even see in that word, in the old English, the word doom. A decree, a judgment, a discernment. And so really, when you think about this word wisdom, it's this combination of seeing and knowledge and full perspective and understanding how things are interrelated and connected and the best path forward and then to decree and declare that. Wisdom. So that's what it is. If you think about that just illustrated, if I go to my dad for wisdom, I'm asking him to use his higher or outside experience, his knowledge, his time in life, his whiz. And I'm asking him to decree, to make a judgment, to share that with me, wisdom. That's what wisdom is. You know, when you think about that simple definition of wisdom, this ability to see, this knowledge combined with decreeing it and sharing it, if you think about that, it's not that hard to understand how God would be all-wise. That He, the all-knowing, the all-seeing God who is eternal in His experience, would have the most wisdom, right? It's not that hard to see how that would be true. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word wisdom is there 149 times. Most of those occurrences are in Proverbs. They're in Ecclesiastes. In the New Testament, the word, perhaps you heard the word Sophia, meaning wisdom, 51 times. The most is in 1 Corinthians, which we'll turn there later. Here's some definitions from some people that are smarter than all of us, okay? Theologian Wayne Groom says, God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means towards those goals. I just want to make sure we're talking about the right thing as we talk about the wisdom of God this morning. We're not talking just about knowledge. We live in a really educated area you're an educated congregation. People maybe are or think they are really smart. That's not wisdom. God is all wise. We are not. We're talking about wisdom this morning. Tozer again is helpful. I read you this quote All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom, first for his own glory, then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. God is all-wise. So when we talk about God being all-wise, we're not merely talking about you know, consulting the little toy eight ball for what you should do. We're not talking about a pithy suggestion from a fortune cookie. We're not talking about visiting the oracle at Delphi to get a suggestion for politics or war. We're not talking about the knowledge of the owl who knows how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop, okay? That's for all of you 90s and 80s people. We're not talking about that. The wisdom of God is much more than that. The big idea this morning is this, that God is all-wise, that God always knows, always chooses, and always does exactly what is best. Now, it's one thing to abstractly say that and be like, yeah, that sounds true, I sign off on that, God of the Bible, that should be true of Him, okay. It's another thing to say, my situation in my life right now must reflect that truth. And that what he's putting me through is his wisdom, even though my wisdom says I would do this differently. So let me read to you a couple of verses and pray, and then we're going to get into a three-point outline this morning, proving God's wisdom, praising God's wisdom, and pursuing God's wisdom, all right? Romans eleven thirty-three 33 reads, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So let's pray as we go before our all-wise God in his word. God, we thank you this morning for gathering us here together in your wisdom. We thank you this morning, God, for the opportunity not to hear from a smart or a wise pastor, not to be wise in our own minds, but to hear from your word, to look to heaven and reflect on who you are, And to have a better understanding of the God we worship and the God we believe in. Jesus, the word says that you are the fullness of the wisdom of God. And So we exalt and worship and praise you with our hearts and our minds this morning. Help us to see you clearly as we look at this topic this morning. Be with us as as we study. Help us to focus, pay attention, help us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. God is all wise. God is all wise. So we're looking at uh, the first point here, okay? Proving God's wisdom. So just, I think it's helpful if we're going to say this, that God is all wise. I actually think it's really helpful that we feel super convinced that it's true. You may would have agreed with it just from me saying it this morning. Yeah, I'm Christian. God's all wise. Cool. But I think sometimes you just need to like, really get convinced again that that is, that is true and, and that God is wiser than you and me. So, first let's consider creation. Let's consider creation, proving God's wisdom, the first point here, creation. I'll tell you a quick illustration that I think just, just drives this home so clearly. There was this science project done in the 90s and it was called Biosphere 2. All right? It, this is an actual place, it's still there. It's in Arizona. So, Biosphere 2 was a huge science project where they were practicing creating an enclosed ecosystem, airtight, in the preparation to colonize outer space. Because they knew that outer space did not have the essentials for life. And so they thought we could create an enclosed ecosystem called Biosphere 2. And when we get it sort of nailed down in Arizona, we're ready to go colonize space with it. True story. It was called 2. Do you know why? Because Earth is 1. That's why. $200 million invested into this project. Unlimited access to technology, work, help, donors, you name it. Eight humans, biospherians, lived there for two years to see if it worked. They put plants in there. They put animals in there. They tried to get this whole ecosystem going to where they needed nothing. In a recent article reflecting back on this failure, the New York Times said many scientists look back at the original Biosphere 2 as a colossal failure. In short, the Biosphere 2 experiment failed to generate sufficient breathable air, drinkable water, and adequate food for just eight humans despite an expenditure of $200 million, ecologist Rebecca Stewart said. Three acres in Arizona, Biosphere 2. 19 of the 25 species that they put in there at the beginning died. So I share this only to say, imagine for a moment that you could, for the first time, walk into Biosphere 2 and just see the intentionality of this great science project. How everything is wisely created and designed and arranged and decorated. Now, imagine you could, and you really have to use your imagination for this, but imagine you could for the first time walk into Biosphere One. The one that actually works. God's creation. The beauty, the detail intentionality, the complexity, the interdependence of all the life-sustaining systems. You could take this in afresh and anew. Would you not speak about the author and creator and how wise he must be? God is all wise. He's so much wiser than us. Psalm 104 is a psalm about creation. You should read the whole thing sometime. It's a great psalm. But as he's getting to the end and driving home the point in verse 24, he says, How many are your works, Lord, in wisdom? You made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Proving God's wisdom. One proof of God's wisdom is God's creation. Another proof, Solomon, King Solomon in the Old Testament, Solomon was a real king. Archaeology attests to this fact. He was the son of King David. He was in Jerusalem in the 900 BCs. Archaeology, history, things other than the Bible attest to his prosperity and his sweeping influence. Why do I bring up Solomon? He wrote the book of Proverbs. Many to this day would say there's so much wisdom there. Anyways, in... First Kings chapter three, Solomon becomes a king at a young age, and he has a dream where the Lord visits him in this dream. He has this vision, and the Lord grants him a wish, and he asks for wisdom, and the Lord says, because you didn't ask for riches or wives or all these, you know, worldly things, you asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm also going to bless you with material things, prosperity. Anyways, that's in first Kings three. Then immediately following that, there's a story where two women come to Solomon with a baby and he has this incredibly wise solution for their dilemma. You can check it out. Chapter three of first Kings. In chapter four of first Kings, the Bible tells us God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. The person who gets wisdom from the all-wise God is seen as wise. Proof of God's wisdom. In 1 Kings 10, it actually says, it speaks of this uh, queen from Sheba who came, she heard about Solomon's wisdom, and she came across the world to see about it. And it says, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. His wisdom that God gave to him was breathtaking. Because God is all wise. And that's how it is when you have the wisdom of God in your life. Creation, Solomon. I know what you're thinking. What about Jesus? Yeah. How about Jesus? Consider the life and ministry of Jesus. For a moment, and just think about how filled with wisdom the pages of the Gospels are. The life and ministry of Jesus, his parables, the Sermon on the Mount, world famous and known for its profoundness and wisdom, his wisdom at a young age, teaching in the temple, so much more. Jesus was so wise. Matthew, actually Mark chapter 6 says this in the Gospels. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were, what does it say? Amazed. What did they say? Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Do you want to be like Christ? Be known for wisdom like Christ was known for wisdom. It's just like Solomon when the Queen of Sheba was amazed and had her breath taken away. Everyone was amazed at this wisdom that was given him. Matthew 12, verse 42 is an interesting verse and I just want to show it to you because it really takes us from Solomon to Jesus and then confronts us. Jesus said, the queen of the south, and he's talking about the queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now, speaking of himself, something greater than Solomon is here. Proof for the wisdom of God, God's creation Solomon, Jesus, Colossians 2 says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the life and the ministry of Jesus as we see it in the Gospels reveal his superior wisdom serves as proof for us that God is all wise. Four, salvation. Creation, Solomon, Jesus, salvation. Salvation. The salvation offered through the Bible, the Christian gospel, is perhaps the greatest place to see God's all wisdom on full display. Consider it a holy God must be holy and banish and not allow sin and unholiness. A just God must be just and deal justly with sin and with sinners. A loving and merciful God is and always desires to be loving and merciful and he would want to save his creation from sin. And so what can this God do? An all-wise God had a plan for salvation that no human wisdom would or could have ever come up with. It even caught Satan by surprise. That God would display His great love by sending His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, taking on human nature so that He can represent us by his holy life, and then publicly and willingly being humiliated on a Roman cross to satisfy the justice and punishment of God towards sin, not his sin, but our sin as he hung in our place. And then being God and having paid the debt of sin in full, Jesus rose from death and from the grave to new resurrection and eternal life. And so God has made this plan of salvation that all men and women who put their faith in what his son Jesus did for them on the cross are saved, not by their own good works or by their own wisdom, but purely by God's amazing grace according to his amazing wisdom. The plan of salvation is such a proof and testament of the all-wise God. Paul saw it that way. 1 Corinthians 1, he says, and I'll read to you, verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, To Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God is all wise creation, Solomon, Jesus, salvation. We could give so many other proofs, but I felt that those four were good for supporting our big idea that God always knows, always chooses, and always does exactly what is best because he's all wise. So now let's talk about praising God's wisdom. The first point, proving God's wisdom, just sort of convinces us, hopefully again, but maybe afresh, of God's all wisdom. But now let's respond to that with these two quick points. Praising God's wisdom. We really should be ready right now already to praise God's wisdom. When you consider it, it's praiseworthy. Romans 11.33 says it this way. Paul reflecting in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way through chapter 11 on the gospel, on this salvation plan, and God's amazing wisdom comes to the end of chapter 11 and he says, Oh, it's like sigh. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. I'll share an example from my own personal life of struggling with and then getting to a place of praising God's wisdom. So I wanted to, we wanted to sell our first home when we first moved to Raleigh. And we had all the best and right and most Christian reasons for selling our home. We were fresh off of a study of Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, and we felt like, man, we really don't need this house. Let's sell it. Let's move somewhere else. Let's move somewhere where we feel called, where we're not just looking for what we want, but for where we can do ministry. We had all the best reasons for moving. I mean, like, I wrote a blog post about it. I mean, it was just like, we're doing this, and we're, like, amazing, (laughs) And I had a plan, my wisdom, my view, was list it, sell it fast, look for a different house. God had a different plan. And God's plan, he wanted us to live in a new house, he did. And he had huge plans for us there. But the house wasn't ready for us. It wouldn't be for sale for two more years. And so in God's plan, we will wait. We will grow in patience. We will grow in perseverance. We had a yellow lab that shed blonde hair all over the house. Every time we had a showing, for two years our house was for sale. We're cleaning up. We had young children. We're throwing them in the car. We're abandoning our house so that random people could come look at it and not buy it for two straight years. Three realtors, three separate times listing it never sold. During this two years, we would continue to love our neighbors in some very key ways that we're glad we could be there for. Then finally, our house sold and we would find our new home only on the market for a couple of weeks. And from that house, so many blessings for us would really come through that kids' schools, neighbors that we've been able to get to know, encourage, and reach out to. So many things. So here's why I share that story, because it's just personal, and this is what we have to do with this truth of God's wisdom is get personal. And I can tell you that when you're in that, you're not understanding God's wisdom at all. And that's the truth that we need to grab onto this morning. The Romans eleven thirty three gives us this truth that his wisdom at times when you're in it, it's unsearchable and inscrutable. And so all you can do is praise God. God, you are all wise. I'm in it and it's unsearchable and inscrutable. If it was searchable, and inscrutable, you would never need clarification on what he's doing, but it's often not that way, right? But after it. And that's the praising part. But you can praise in it and after it. But after it, when you realize what God was doing and how his wise plan was so much better than yours, you see all the ways that he was orchestrating things for you. That's when you also praise God for his wisdom. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. A.W. Tozer helps us again. But this is something to think about and believe. To believe actively that our Heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being brings to the soul a veritable benediction. That God is all wise, that he always knows, he always chooses, and he always does what is best, exactly what is best. So are you in it? Are you after it? I encourage you, Grab a hold of Romans 11 and praise the wisdom of God. He is all wise. We're not. Pursuing God's wisdom. Proving God's wisdom, praising God's wisdom, and now pursuing God's wisdom. We're going to return here to James chapter 1, which we read in the beginning, and it's, I think, a verse that people think of when they think of wisdom in the New Testament. We'll get there in a moment. Pursuing God's wisdom. Foundational to pursuing God's wisdom is Proverbs 9:10 says, is the fear of the Lord. Believing that God is real, that his word is, is true, and that his presence matters in your life, and that he's greater than you, reverence and fear of the Lord. Hello? That Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the first step to pursuing God's wisdom is a posture step before God who is all-wise. Do you fear the Lord? Do you know in your heart of hearts that he's greater than you, that he's more wise than you? Another part of pursuing God's wisdom is where God has revealed his wisdom most brightly in his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so fearing God in a posture and meditating and reflecting and abiding in God's word is a discipline pursuing God's wisdom. But let's look at that passage in James as we close out. James 1, 5 through 5-8, the, I guess we could say, really famous passage on asking for wisdom. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Do you see that? This is a promise. Do you see it? It's a promise. It's almost like name it and claim it. I mean, it is a guarantee. It is a promise. God is telling you this morning, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it. Pursue it. He will give it to you. How? Generously, without reproach. What does that mean? When he gives a gift, he doesn't look at you, roll his eyes, and kind of have a reproaching look on his face. No. He's generously giving wisdom to his children who ask. It continues in verse 6 Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable. What is this saying? What is it saying? It's, 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 it's saying the reason that we often don't get clarity from the Lord is because we're in a place of doubting God's wisdom. It's not a faith meter okay? It's not like you're just trying to get your faith enough. It's either faith or doubt. It's black and white in James. Oftentimes, as followers of Christ, we provisionally seek God's wisdom as part of our strategy for us controlling, understanding, manipulating our circumstances and our trials. It's like when you go to the store and you buy something, but you intend on keeping the receipt and you're thinking, I'm going to check this out. I might take it back. We do that with God's wisdom. And that, James says, is not faith. So instead, when we ask for God's wisdom, knowing that he is all wise and we are not, we should do it in faith. We commit first to his wisdom. We sign the blank check. We autograph the bottom of the contract before we have the details. We are all in. God, you are wise. And as I'm seeking your wisdom, it may come to me through your word. It may come to me through wise counsel from a brother or sister in Christ. It may come through prayer. It may come through providential circumstances. It will never contradict your word. But God, as I'm seeking your wisdom up front, before you even tell me, I'm going to do what you say. That's faith. Leaning on his wisdom. God is all wise. And it's this God whose wisdom we praise. Let's continue singing this morning. Praising our all wise God.